G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking through an inspiring story today of an abused child who grew to reject the legacy of her circumstances and became a woman of influence. From her youngest years, she believed her life was hopeless. Her parents believed it, and she inherited their belief. A conversation today not just about how to unshackle from the bad things that shape you, but how you take things to the next level and become that person of influence that you long to be. Our special guest through this coming hour is Wendy Burns, who's just released her new book called Remarkable You. Wendy Burns had pretty rough beginnings. We'll talk about some of those. But just like a caterpillar emerges from a chrysalis as a beautiful butterfly, Wendy has grown into a woman of influence. She's become an international expert in professional coaching, transformational leadership, and is a practical business and personal coach. She loves to talk about leading people and has some keys about turning dysfunctional teams into functioning, positive teams who relate well and value each other. Wendy Burns is an executive director on the John Maxwell team, having joined the John Maxwell University. Wendy Burns, wonderful to have you with us. Your own story is uh, its a tough one, and uh, we might take a few moments and get you to share a few things from those uh, beginnings of your life. In fact, uh, we might even talk about the beginning decades of your life uh, as things shape you. And no doubt, as we're listening into the conversation, so many of us will relate to some of the challenges that you've been through, and they might be the challenges that might be holding us back today. Take us back to those early years and the sorts of influences that shaped your early life. Sure. Thank you, Neil. And My story does come with a small ears warning, so I do touch on some subjects that are things we don't often talk about, I guess, uh, and we should. And and so a small ears warning, and uh, given that there are uh, those in WA, say, uh, who are, uh, you know, maybe dropping children off at school, there might be children listening in, or it could be holidays. So, uh, yes, uh, do take that uh, responsibility as a parent. If you've got young ones around today, we may be touching on some things that could be quite sensitive. Sorry, Wendy, I don't want to interrupt you. No, please. I should explain what I mean. Um, Perfect. We have a generational inheritance that we're born into. We don't control the circumstances we're born into. Some are born into a a wonderful, incredible family, but the majority are not. I was one of the ones that were not. Uh, I grew up, both of my parents were alcoholics. Um, My home was filled with physical abuse, alcoholism, sexual abuse, and suicide. As a 13-year-old girl, I witnessed my father take his own life. In that moment, he actually got me to participate in his suicide. Um, Neil, is it okay if I share about my yes. father's death? I yes. just want let's, to be very let's, sensitive. Let's do that. And, uh, you know, and uh, we've already warned listeners that some of the things that we'll be 
talking about can be fairly heavy going, but uh, but share as your heart uh, Yeah, leads. look, I feel if I don't share where I've come from, you won't understand the miraculous miracle of God of where he's taken me over these years. As a 13-year-old girl, my parents had been at the hotel all day drinking, which was a normal process. Uh, we came home. Uh, my father went into my room. He was laying on my bed. He asked me to hand him his gun. He had a rifle. I was 13. He told me, this is how you kill yourself. He put the gun in his mouth and he pulled the trigger in front of me. Remember, I was 13. Mm. And you passed him the rifle. I passed him the rifle. And in that moment, I carried the guilt of his death. Guilt and shame. I know in your book, you open up with some level of defining what shame is and and you describe your own shame and how you carry that shame and the shame doesn't leave you until perhaps you get to a point where you can get unshackled from some of these burdensome things that we carry. Uh, but give us some insights into how you carry that guilt and shame when you were part of something just so significant as that. Well, look, it just became part of my life. It became part of the angry person that I was initially, I became very controlling because everything was out of control. The same night my father committed suicide, my uncle sexually abused me simply because he could. Um, so I, just the shame just got worse and worse and bigger and bigger. So with shame comes humiliation. It has this sneaky little uh, partners that come along with it, Humili humiliation, worthlessness, hopelessness, all those things attach themselves to you and they work out in who you are. Both of my parents committed suicide. My mother committed suicide on my 17th birthday. I hadn't been able to look after her like I felt I should because it was my responsibility. My father had died. So it builds up this impact of what we carry, the baggage, the bogus stories, the hidden baggage in our life builds up and builds up and builds up. And that all comes out in who we are. And for me, it was coming out in my attitude, my behaviours, and certainly my choices. I became very bitter. I became very nasty. And I felt like the world owed me something. Because didn't it? No, it had taken my life away. It had taken my childhood away. Your parents were alcoholics and uh, even young age, 14, you were drinking very heavily. Yes, my mother, uh, as I, my father killed himself, I took over responsibility for my mum because it was my fault my father had died, right? At least that's what I thought then. So she was lonely, she was lost, she had nobody to drink with, so she got me to drink with her. And, of course, I did everything my mum wanted because I was trying to make up for what I'd done. So, yes, at 14, I can remember being placed in a cold shower to try and sober up, being exposed to things that I should never have been exposed to between the age of 13 and 16, uh, incredible stuff. And you do those things in some respect to try and numb the pain. You oh. talk about the guilt, you talk about the shame, and so the behaviours that come out in our lives are oftentimes we're just trying to deal with the pain that we're carrying. Oh, absolutely, Neil. Don't we do that, though? We put things in our mouth to kill the pain, the pain that we carry. My father used his gun. My mother used drugs and alcohol. Other people do other things. They use um, media. They use shop, uh, shopping. They use drugs. We use different forms. I used words. My words were quite bitter and nasty. Uh, I was not a very nice person. 
And all of this stuff that we might describe as a toxic beginning to your life, uh, you didn't have the wonderful opportunity of having been able to deal with those things in your teenage years. And a lot of people, they do, uh, they find a point and, and, you know, often we'll, on this program, we'll talk about having an encounter with God in teenage years. Well, that didn't happen for you. All of this stuff was going on and you continue to take that even into your marriage. Oh, absolutely. I was already on the same path as my parents. I was going down the same path. And the thing about shame, Neil, you hide it from others. People don't know what's going in, on in your heart and in your mind. So from the outside, you may look normal, but on the inside, this stuff is working through. And I was also carrying this suicidal inheritance. So every time something went wrong in my life, I was busy fighting off the urge to take my own life. Because after all, that was what my parents had shown me is what you do. When life gets too tough, you get a choice, opt in or opt out. Wendy, we're not going to spend the whole hour talking about how you went through the guilt and the shame because there's an upside to the story today and there is an upside that usually has a point where there is a turning and for you this came when you discovered that there were some other remarkable things about you that you didn't hold in high esteem Uh, Give us some insights into the turning point for you. Well, the turning point for me was when I was 34. I realised just leading up to this turning point, I realised something needed to be different. I already had children. I was married for the second time. My first marriage didn't work because of the hidden baggage and the things that I'd carried. And I was looking for something different. Deep inside of me, I knew there had to be something different and something better for my children. Not for me, I didn't believe it. I could be better, but it needed to be for my children. And I was started to attend a little Anglican church. And one night I was invited to hear a speaker and I was thinking, no way am I going there. But I went along and I think he was uh, Hamish James, Bishop Hamish James or whatever his name was. I can't remember at the time and no disrespect in that. But what I do remember is when I went down for prayer, because as soon as I did an altar call, I was out of that seat. They gave me an offer of a new life. At 34, I made the first great choice, and that was to accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, if you're just joining our conversation, our special guest is Wendy Burns. And uh, Wendy has a dramatic story from her earlier years until a dramatic turnaround at age 34. And sometimes we think about those sorts of toxic things that have shaped us in our early years, and we think that our whole future is going to be shaped by those things. Uh, And we can feel like that's inevitable. But Wendy's story illustrates that those things are not inevitable. There's so much to talk about in Wendy's stories. You might like to uh, get a hold of her new book uh, that describes these sorts of things that we're talking about today. Uh, Wendy's book is called Remarkable You. Wendy, I want to just fast forward now because we might need to fill in some gaps as we go along the way. You had an encounter with God. You went forward at an altar call in a little Anglican church in Sydney and that was 
was a turning point for your life. Let's just fast forward now as we talk about what your life is today, because there's a lot of leading up to that. Uh, I mentioned in the introduction when we were uh, introducing our conversation, these days you are an executive director on the John Maxwell team, having joined uh, John Maxwell University. And for listeners who are not so familiar with John Maxwell, one of the world's leading exponents of business and leadership. And uh, he has just a tremendous testimony of his own. Your connection with the John Maxwell organisation. Give us a little insight here, Wendy. Thank you, Neil. I would love to do that. Um, About seven years ago, I... um I had an opportunity uh, after I left a government job to join the John Maxwell team because I felt like it was time to do something more for where I was meant to be and what I was meant to do. So part of the John Maxwell team, I've become an international speaker, uh, coach, trainer. But what I've learned about is the power of leadership, not just leading teams, which is where I do a lot of my work, but self-leadership. So I, I've worked to uh, create great opportunities of self-leadership for others. So what do I do on the team? And I think that's what you're asking me. I'm one of the peer teaching partners. So I work, I I teach the people that join the John Maxwell team. Uh, I teach them how to grow their business, uh, how to become uh, better at what they're doing, how to apply what they're learning, which is really what I do, uh, and how to apply life. And you work with, and I know you love to work with, teams that are very Dysfunctional because, uh, you know, why would you call in someone who is a coach, a consultant, as someone to try and turn things around unless you had a team in your business that was really, and you know, there are so many of them and it doesn't matter where you are, whether it's government departments or in business, uh, in schools, uh, dysfunctional people everywhere and dysfunctional people make up dysfunctional teams and to bring some sense of harmony and some sense of order to a team you love to pursue that sort of thing I do I do I love working in teams that are dysfunctional because quite often the individuals don't know how dysfunctional they are so I I work and I do something called restorative justice where we we try and work out and work with the person maybe is the most dysfunctional so that we can restore that workplace to a greater level. So quite often we we put, push somebody aside because they're difficult to work with. Um, but I like to be able to pull out the gold within. See, I believe there's a remarkable within everybody. And whether there's somebody that's uh, presenting as dysfunctional or not, when you dig deep, there is gold and there is a remarkable you. It's not always going to be that person who has a background like yours that no. makes a team dysfunctional. But oftentimes... And as I say, you get dysfunctional teams made up of dysfunctional people. And uh, people today don't have perhaps the same cultural alignments as we might have seen in some generations gone by where everybody's on the same page. People are often doing their own things these days. And so dysfunction, uh, the personal dysfunction, it actually boils over into dysfunction that happens at work. You'd find that probably fairly frequently. Uh, very frequently. And really what we come back in that situation, we talk about responsibility and accountability. So responsibility of who you are, accountability, of course, to your team, but it actually starts with accountability to you and countability. We should be able to count on, count on ourselves to be able to present the very best of who we are, whether it's in our workplace, in our community, in our church, in our family. See, self-leadership, and that's what I teach even in an organization, is about how we lead ourselves well because it starts with us. Transformation starts within. 
So when you're a Christian and you're in these coaching roles and you're dealing with dysfunction and you're dealing with trying to make a team functional, what sort of grounding, what sort of foundation do you get from your Christian faith that enhances the way you're able to speak into a team? Oh, Neil, I teach biblical principles and biblical values. Sometimes the teams don't know that's what I'm teaching them, but that's what I teach them. And and the extra plus that I have, the X factor, is the Holy Spirit. Because when you're working with a team and you're leaning into God, you actually get a greater insight to what's going on within that team. But what I'm teaching is values. I, ta- I teach about attitude and choices uh, in the individual and within the groups. You like to talk about your own journey as a map that people can look at and say, here's a map that might be transposable onto the way that they're actually travelling in their life. Uh, Isn't it exciting and even interesting and exciting that our own lives might be a, a map for others? And I guess that's what, you know, when you talk about transformational leadership, this is the sort of thing that you're looking to enhance in people. Hey, I've been there. I was just like that. But this is what I decided to do. I made a choice that was a little bit different, and now this is the outcome. This is amazing. Uh, Well, if you think of that 13-year-old child and then think about where I am today, it is a miracle. And to to know that um, I've shared the stage with John Maxwell, I've been to Paraguay with John Maxwell to bring transformation to the nation of Paraguay, Um, things that uh, seem absolutely impossible. But at 16, I had almost like this daytime vision that I would be a woman of influence. How could that be without God's mighty hand? And as we look at Romans 8, it talks about being transformed. You know, God gives us a charted mat. The power of 8, Romans 8, shows us why we go through the things we do in life. And then we get to choose whether we use them for him or not. Let's talk hopelessness for a few moments because if you come from the same sort of toxic uh, shaping that you had, uh, you can't help but feel as though that will be an inevitable thing for you. You'll always carry those things. You'll always be burdened by those things of the past and you'll always have a certain hopeless outlook for the future. Uh, What do you share with people when they feel as though their own hopeless situation could never change? Okay, there's a couple of things there in that question. It's a great question. Uh, one of them is about the words, even the words that you use then are often the words that someone that is hopeless will speak over themselves. They'll say, it can't get better, it's hopeless, I'll always be like this. The power of our words, our words carry power. So I talk about how we speak about ourselves because a lot of this goes on in our mind. And I talk about the power of attitude and choices. That was a turning point for me. And Quite often, even as a Christian, we'll feel like our life is hopeless. It's not going to get better. And we think when we make that decision to accept Jesus that we wake up the next day and we're in a bed of roses. But actually, you wake up in the same circumstances. It's what's going on within your heart that brings about the change. And that's when God moves in. We need to move towards God and he moves in towards us. When I mentioned in the introduction, your story is a little bit like the caterpillar uh, emerging from the chrysalis as a beautiful butterfly. And you can recognize, you can identify that there are things that you could only have dreamed about then that are happening for you now. 
there is that time in the chrysalis uh, that you're sort of saying, you know, when you wake up tomorrow, even if you have an encounter with God today, when you wake up tomorrow, the circumstances that you're in will still be the same. And it's choices that you make that are going to enable uh, those things to be changed. How do you describe, uh, you know, working through the troubles and the problems? Oh, absolutely. That's why when I wrote my book, um, Remarkable You, I put after each chapter, chapter a reflection and a call to action because it takes an action. You, you can make a decision, but unless you take an action and make a choice to do something differently. I needed to do something differently. I need to think about my attitude and it started with my attitude for me and the choices I was making. So I started a journey of a thousand steps begins with one. So I started with one step by working on my attitude, started, then started working on the choices I, I was making. Who was in my inner circle? What voice was I listening to? Who was I allowing to influence me? So it's like a, the little engine that could when you have to go up that hill, you just know you've got to keep going. Everything worthwhile is uphill, and you have to go up the hill to find the glory on the other side. But we get held back, don't we, because we believe those things that shaped us from the past. You called them bogus stories. Yes, the BS. And the, the BS. And so for <laughs> anyone who's concerned about using those initials today, we might even talk about those uh, some significant, uh, some more in the next half hour after the news. But, you know, we believe the BS from the past, the bogus stories. Oh, yes. Yes. And those have shaped us. And somehow or other, you've got to not only have this encounter with God, which creates in you a different choice for an identity, who you're identifying with, but then you have to choose the practical ways to maneuver out of the circumstances. Oh, absolutely. And um, you tell me when I need to stop here for the news, Neil. Uh, what I had when I made my decision for the Lord was I learnt about a religious God. I, the change came for me, the true change came for me when I built a relationship with God. So I, I still had this God that was up there that was fe- that I was fearful of and that he would still hold me in some way accountable because I didn't have a relationship. As I built a close relationship with God and learned how much my father loved me and how much he wanted the absolute best for me, making those choices on that uphill journey became so much easier. I know that when we talk about that breakthrough, uh, it comes with a change of who we think we are, but then it's often the choices that we make to take us forward. You love to talk about the choices we make because those things from our past, they lead us to make certain choices, but when things happen to us that can bring about a transformation, the choices all of a sudden become possible. Absolutely. And uh, we, we get to make choices every single day. From the minute we make up in the morning, we get to choose what our day will be. I love to look at our life that we get a blank sheet every single day on what we're going to write for that day. We cannot choose the circumstances we find ourselves in quite often. Very often we can't change the circumstances. But what we can do is change the choices we make and the attitude we present in those circumstances. And for me, that was such a breakthrough. That helped me break through out of that that uh, chrysalis to be who I am today, knowing the power of choice. It started with my first great choice when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. But then it was slow. It was a very slow emerge. It was not something that happened quickly until I really understood the responsibility that I had to me. See, we need to opt into our life and take responsibility for us. Quite often, we'll wait for somebody else to make it right, to make it better. I know I did. 
But once I opted into my life and started to be responsible for my choices and my attitude and my behavior, my life started to turn. Let's this bring this right down to where the rubber hits the road for a lot of people. And uh, as we're talking about bogus stories, uh, believing the BS uh, from our past, uh, one of those that you share in your book, and you do bring this down to a practical level uh, quite significantly, but uh, you have uh, the bogus story. The bogus story is, I am a drunk. The truth is, I drink too much. But I can change the behavior and there's more to me than just my drinking. And you go on to say it's a little bit like a positive affirmation in there. I reject the bogus story. That's the story of a lot of people and perhaps a lot of people uh, perhaps listening into our conversation today. The idea that I'm a drunk, uh, I'm always going to be a drunk and I've tried before, but I just can't break out of the mold. Well, you're telling yourself you're going to be drunk, so that's exactly what you will be. See, we speak it over ourselves and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it is about turning that around. And when I work with people and with individuals, I t- uh, we talk about what's the one thing you can change today. So it changes by our, our words. I've drunk too much in the past, but now I'm controlling what I'm drinking. No longer is alcohol controlling me. That's an example of that example. Uh, I yell at my children. Every time I yell at my children, then I lay in bed at night uh, complaining about what it was and how bad I've been. But what about changing that around? Occasionally when I get stressed, I might lose my cool, but in future, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to take a breath. So it's about turning it around and doing it a different way. See, what happens is we can either be a historian a journalist or a futurist. Can I explain what that is, Neil? I think that would be very useful because, uh, you know, uh, looking at the past, looking at the present, making choices for the future, very important. You love that terminology, a futurist. And if you are turning things around, give us your insights here. Okay, so a historian was my generational inheritance. I was born into a family of alcoholism, physical, sexual abuse and suicide. I could choose to stay there in my past. A journalist is somebody that is reporting on how bad it is. And I moved from historian to journalist in and out. It was a free flow for me. Once I realized that I needed to look forward. So we use our past as a catalyst to push ourselves forward. I talk about using the rearview mirror, just like in the car. If you look in the rearview mirror, you can look and you can see a little bit of what's behind you, but your eyes are forward. For me to grow and to change, I needed to keep my eyes forward. And so do our listeners. What's the future hold? What's your vision for the future? And maybe it's just a vision for tomorrow that tomorrow will be better. Or maybe the vision is, if you're drinking too much, that today I won't drink, I'll have a cup of tea instead. So it starts by one step, one step, one step. But a futurist is seeing what's ahead and not allowing our past to cripple us for the future. Amazing insight. And, uh, you know, being the historian, uh, being the journalist, just talking about the bad things of the past, uh, actually rewriting the future before it gets there. You mentioned some terminology which is really, really powerful, this idea of self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, some people have some problems over, uh, you know, Christian ministries that say, or oh, just sort of uh, say it and uh, blab it and grab it and all sorts of things like that. And, you know, what some of those saying, some of those mental mind issues uh, can work for anyone. But when you're a Christian, there's a huge advantage in change because 
you're not just making a choice to do whatever you feel is right, but you're making a choice according to the identity that God has made for you. What an absolute relief to know that when you do make those choices, when you speak out those self-fulfilling prophecies, that this is something that is tried and true and tested, and this is something that's come from God. And uh, he has our best interest at his heart. Uh, When you are a Christian, this is a huge advantage in making those choices for your future. Oh, absolutely. And for me in those early stages and when things, you'll you'll have to read this in the book because I'm not going to talk about it today. I was going through a very difficult time. I had a scripture and excuse me, Neil, I wrote it on a piece of paper and popped it inside my bra. Sorry, listeners. And I would put my hand on my chest Every time things felt difficult, it would remind me of that word and I would speak that word out over my life. See, the power of the spoken word is incredible and I love it. Often I do my quiet time very early in the morning. This morning it was 3.30 as I wanted to be really well prayed up for today. But I will read the word out loud, the power of the word. Start reading Ephesians. Talk about how God can do imaginably more than we could ever hope or imagine. I'm an example of that sitting in the studio today. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of that wonderful scripture out of Deuteronomy uh, where God describes how you're to raise your family, you know, writing these things. You know, uh, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. And then he goes on to say, you know, talk about these things when you're out on the road, when you're at home, write them on the doorposts. And I think we've just got the Wendy Burns edition there. Uh, Write down the scripture and tuck it inside your bra. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't wear a bra, so it might have to be something different for a man. But, uh, but you know, what you've said there is that you've relied on God to shape the way that you'll rea- react when the circumstances are feeling like they're overwhelming. You can rely on him as your Absolutely. strength. You know, when we talk about he is our, our strong tower, he's our sanctuary, you have discovered that and you've actually done something practical, uh, really powerful. Oh, and I need practical. I'm a practical type person. I need practical. And, you know, I grab hold of a scripture and I may stay in that same scripture for a while. And could I share my favorite scripture with your yes. listeners, Neil? Yes. And it's in the back of my book. Even though my book is written not necessarily for a Christian audience, you cannot help but find God in the pages of my story. And it's a psalm. I love the psalms. And it says, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul, and you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. You were so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book, and you know all the words I'm about to speak even before I start a sentence. Now this is the powerful part. You know, every step I will take before my journey even begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of the past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impact a blessing to me. You impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful, deep and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. How great is the word of God? (laughs) Sorry, I just have to share that. No, you are illustrating the power of hope. And uh, you can fall into that trap. Uh, You can fall into the deep waters of hopelessness. Uh, In fact, even as we've been asking that question on our Facebook poll, I mean, you know, do you think that you're always going to be hopeless? Uh, Is it always going to be something that you're going to be uh, trapped in for the rest of your life? But hope brings that release. And when we talk hope, 
you know, we talk, you know, faith, hope, and love. Uh, yes. These three things remain. Therefore, hope is a very powerful force in the kingdom of God that comes from the very heart of God. So when, when you have hope that comes from God, you can break the shackles of the past and you can be free to look at the future. Absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes those shackles are hard to break. One of my shackles was suicide, and it was like a Goliath in my life. But guess what? My God is bigger than Goliath. And finally, when I reached out to God, and it was a a reach out to God, I was sitting in a church and still struggling with the thoughts of suicide. So just because you're a Christian does not mean those things of your past will not try and hound you down. They will unless you deal with them. But in that moment, as I reached out to God, he finally took the last of that shackle away. Again, you have to read the details in my story. But you talk about hope. There's three words that I love, and and quite often in my journal, I will get an acronym, hope, H-O-P-E, hanging on with patient expectation. I love that. That's what hope is about, faith, future answers in the hope. And that's the hope we have in God. Uh, let's talk about this Facebook poll at the moment. Uh, as I understand it, 87% to 13% on what we're talking about here. 87% to 13%. The question on the Facebook poll is, is it inevitable that when your life feels hopeless now, that it will always be? And uh, I guess talking more specifically to the 13%, but those who are part of the 87%, they're also hanging on for some extra insights into how to take things into the future with some level of power. Uh, We've got Liz back on the line. Hi, Liz. Welcome along. Hi, how are you going? Good, Liz. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Uh, Well, I'm driving in my car and uh, I'm... I'm just listening to my own story, um, and and I'm 56 now, and I've come through the same sort of thing. I didn't didn't see um, anybody commit suicide, but in my own life, I implicated myself in my brother's death. Um, and mm. at the same age as uh, Wendy, I think it is at 34, I just had a revelation from God that that you know he had it in control and he knew what he was doing, and I didn't. You know, I didn't cause my brother's death. And then at the age of 54, so 20 years later, just had another revelation from God through the Holy Spirit, just um, calming my heart and telling my heart that my guilt and my shame was um, totally dealt with at the cross. And, And over the last two years or three years, I've just been walking in this great, sense of freedom and the shackles are gone and that guilt is gone. Um, But in other areas of my life, I really feel like it is still affecting um, uh, my work. You know, I haven't had a job. I'm not able to get a job, not through any reason of disability or anything like that. Just I've gone to jobs and not, you know, looking for, I think, a little bit of leadership you know, as well, but... Liz, you are raising some beautiful points here, and I would like to hear Wendy's response here because uh, she can hear that you actually had a wonderful encounter and those things of the past you realised were not your fault, but even beyond that encounter and a recognition that those things are not your fault, it is possible to have those days when you go into some level of relapse 
I think that's what I can hear in Liz. Uh, Wendy, what are your thoughts for Liz? Yes, Liz, I think that's what I'm hearing as well, that um, you've had that, that second encounter. You had your first encounter, then you had your second encounter where you felt released from the guilt of your brother's death and your implication in that. But there's still other areas in your life that you're feeling shackled. I, I would talk to you about the power of your words because you've just spoken it over yourself again. You're saying you can't do this and you can't do that. I'd love to see you turn that around and start to see things differently. We start to see things through that filter of hopelessness. So, Liz, what would hope look like for you? What would that look like for you on your day? Um, actually, Vision Radio has been playing quite a few verses over the last couple of days talking about the steadfast love of God and giving you the hope in Christ, in God that you need. And for me right now, it's not the hope of getting a job. It's not the hope of having family situations work out. It's not not that. Um, I think God has just been showing me that if I were to have hope, I've got to put it into something substantial, something that's real, something that's you know, not going to let you down. And, and so this is what I'm just journaling it at the moment, the last few days. That's, that's um, The hope is in God because as I come into Christmas, which I haven't always enjoyed, I'm just seeing that Jesus, he is the hope because there's so much hopelessness uh, out there. Um, but, you know, yeah, so my, oh, look, I'd love to get a job or I'd like to, you know, have my business um, up and going. I'd like to... There's lots of things I would hope for, but really, when, often when you get those things, they're not really what you're looking for. The deeper hope comes, I think, in Christ, and that's where I'm at at the moment. But sometimes, yes, you do relapse, and you go back, and you just feed Thanks. yourself the lies again, you know. Yep. Um, Good thoughts, Liz. Uh, Liz, can I just say, um, one of the things that um, you're right, we cannot put our hope in other things, in a job or something like that. It starts with our hope in God. See, people will let us down. You can put your hope on a label of a job or a label of something else, but it's your hope in God that will turn those circumstances around. So knowing, can you trust God to change the circumstances that you face yourself in, uh, find yourself in? So journaling, leaning into God, looking at who's in your inner circle. Who are the people that are speaking into your life? Are they speaking hopelessness? Are they speaking hope? All of those things are important in this season. You said you don't always look forward to Christmas. You know what? You get a choice in that. Can I encourage you to turn that around and say, this year I am looking forward to Christmas no matter what it looks like. I'm making a choice. Liz, thank you so much for your input. I'm going to get you to stay on hold because we'd love to get your address and send you a copy of Wendy's new book. Uh, Thank you so much, Liz. And running out of time now, uh, Wendy, I know you like to talk about having an action plan. And uh, when I heard Liz say, you know, she's been journaling and she's been hearing from God, even some of the verses she's heard on vision over the past few days, getting an action plan, having a vision for the future, making those choices, this is something you've got to do. Oh, that's just part of my DNA. That's exactly what I love to do. And it's exactly what I love to work with people. I do a lot of um, virtual groups where I work with people to take them through this. So having an action plan, a call to action. Anyone that knows me knows I do a call to action. And this is some essential items, Liz, when you get that book in the back, essential item for, for remarkable travellers. It will show you how to find self-worth, hope, faith, energy, strength, courage, endurance, uh, future focus, forgiveness and curiosity. They're all there for you. 
Well, we are running short of time. I do want to talk about your book uh, in the sense of how listeners can get a hold of it. Um, it's only just recently been released. Uh, still, it's sort of in still in launch mode, and uh, you know, an opportunity today to bring this to the attention of listeners. Uh, how's the best way that listeners can get a hold of your book? Okay, on my website, which is wendyburnsconsulting.com.au backslash remarkable you or you can do remarkable you.com.au it will take you to my website now on there you can order the through me the gold foil one that neil's got in his hand or a uh, book from amazon but i tell you if you jump on there and you uh join my or download a traveler's guide and join my email list i'll send you an email with a free ebook so there's a free ebook there for you that's available at the moment. So it's on my website. Just go and join my travellers, uh, downloadable travellers journal list. I can't even think of the name of it now, <laughs> but just jump on there. You'll find it because I'd love to give you some free ebooks today. So wendyburnsconsulting.com.au and you'll find that link there for Wendy's book called Remarkable You, A Journey to Discover Hope Within. I did mention, and we've talked a little bit about it, and it perhaps is another conversation for another day and a deeper conversation about leading people. But uh, you are a part of the John Maxwell team, an executive director on the John Maxwell team. Uh, people can book you too to come and speak at their event. You're based yeah. in southeast Queensland, uh, no doubt prepared to travel. Um, what sort of, uh, you know, you'd, you'd be open to an invitation? I'd love an invitation. And I do travel not only nationally but internationally to speak. So, yes. I am available. You'll find my details on my website or one of my Facebook groups. So the book is called Remarkable You. The author is Wendy Burns. She has an amazing story to tell. You can go to Wendy's website, get a hold of her book or that free ebook right now as you as you're able to go to that website, uh, wendyburnsconsulting.com.au. And uh, we did mention that we had that poll running, 87% to 13%. Is it inevitable that when your life feels hopeless now, that it always will be? And that poll will continue. And uh, I've noticed on polls in recent uh, weeks that we've been having on 2020, uh, the numbers just continue to rise uh, through the rest of the day. So feel free to put your... Uh, your vote on the poll and the opportunity there to also engage with others who are leaving their comments on that Facebook post. Wendy Burns, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Oh, Neil, thank you so much for having me in your studio this morning. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.